Welcome back. What episode is this? This is episode five. Episode five. I feel like we've gotten farther than I thought we ever would. Where did you think we would stop? Um, well, I didn't know if we would actually get this far this fast. If we would actually record every week. Yeah. Um, plus we're like on iTunes and Spotify <laughs> and we Google, we Googled oh, yeah, it we the Googled other day ourselves. and we, we were the top. If like, you Google way miss W, uh, it's a number one, <laughs> <laughs> which that was weird. Um, anyway, so hopefully in the future, we're just like on the beach, like swimming in money. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And texting that's o- why we're doing <laughs> Texting Oprah and Gail. That's all we that's all I want to do. Um, okay, do you want to start with our topic? Are, are you ready to Our one topic? We have well we have two we have two possibilities. I figured, what are our possibilities? So we you recently um, told me about a video that you watched on YouTube. Yep. So the book, I think the book is The Coddling of the American Mind, right? Yeah. And so there was a discussion about it between the two authors and another woman. And it was moderated by Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. So that there's that discussion about that topic. And then we also went to an Andrew Yang political rally in Seattle. Yes. And so we can talk about Andrew Yang related things and in general, like the election or the other Democrats. Or do we don't know any Republican? I don't think right now. No, not. It's well, yeah, I mean, the assumption would be just Trump runs again. Right. Um, do you want to talk about the, the book? Yeah, let's talk about the book. Did you read the book or did you just watch this? No, I just watched the video. Right. So on YouTube, it's uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, uh, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Heights. Heights? Yeah. Um, so it says, sounds the depths of this generational crisis. It's a lively discussion with the authors and uh, Lenore Skenazy. Who wrote a book called Free Range Kids or Free Range Movement? She's the founder of that organization and wrote a book. Um, do you was there anything specific you wanted to talk about right off the bat that you remember? Um, let's see, I had something a moment ago and now I completely, completely forgot about it. Perfect. Um, I really enjoyed just Malcolm Gladwell's voice. There's just something soothing about him. I <laughs> thought and his inquisitive nature. It was great. I thought he was pretty hard on them. Mm-hmm. Um, for a moderator. Yeah, I I like that. I want someone that's going to challenge them. Yeah, I thought he was um, a good challenge, and he um, it was more of a discussion between the four of them instead of just him moderating he was um i didn't really like the woman as much um 
the author? Yeah, the, so it was the two authors and then uh, Le- Lenore. I don't know. I felt so she she was talking about how she let her young son ride the subway to school. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's part of why she has this free range parenting movement um, mm-hmm. organization. And it's the idea of like who is really able to decide like what when a child should do something, what age, um, you know, not getting the police called on you for being neglectful when you're just like letting your kid walk across the street or something. Um, yeah, I just I I didn't feel like she presented very well. She seemed a little bit um, kind of like self-righteous sort of mm. like not really I don't know like it was a little off-putting like her attitude like she was, had a little like chip on her shoulder type attitude I, yeah I get that a little bit I just I just think it's distracting it's it makes it hard to listen to someone for me if I feel like they're not actually open to listening to other people on right, in the panel got her own way of, of living her life and it's the correct way right and I think it's fine the, like w- when people do that they can share their story and their perspective which is good but I think I would prefer where there's enough openness to have like a real possibility of dialogue or sure. even changing your mind on something yeah. um, so one of the big things they talked about was um, the change and issues with universities and students kind of policing their teachers and administrators in a way with mm-hmm. this sort of political correctness. Uh, like just everything feels unsafe. Right, and, right. So oh, yeah, they were talking about how um, really like 18 year olds now aren't ready for college like they aren't their mental capacity isn't there yet it's the equivalent of a 15 year old yeah yeah what was the benchmark comparison like i forgot the context of how they got to the like 15 year old so my understanding is that there is a clear um a clear moment where this behavior started in 2013 maybe yeah, right and so what they're saying is so generation i or i gen is the generation from starting from like 1995 till now i guess right um okay yeah 24 and younger right so they're saying that that is when um so those people uh, grew up and were in middle school when um, the iPhone and social media was starting, yep. right? So it wasn't necessarily accessible to that first group right away, if unless you were wealthier, maybe, um, because originally Facebook was like for college students, which right. is when we like, or like when I was in college at least. Yeah. Um, so those people have been growing up with social media from that developmental benchmark of like middle school puberty 
and so by the time they aged into college they had been kind of saturated with that social media experience so I think there the research is saying that um, like there are less young people like getting part-time jobs or doing the same level of like extracurricular activities or being kind of a trying new things being more adventurous even getting into trouble in like typical teenager ways being experimental um, trying things on your own etc um, so it's like a combination of that plus this sort of helicopter parenting style where um, they were saying like in the early 80s when they started pus- putting um, missing children's photos on milk cartons yeah, that um, it created this sort of hysteria of well if you're out of my sight then you could just be like snatched up um, and that that kind of carried into there was like a uh, like more crime that sort of elevated in the 90s and then went it's been mm-hmm. going down so right but the like fear kept going up is yes what yeah so the perception is that um you're unsafe so that's how people are being taught you're unsafe if you're not supervised yep. and then you're kind of mind-numbing yourself with all this social media and uh, technology and I think the combination is stunting developmental growth. Like, also, the idea of, like, prepping kids for a university. So you, like, get someone all of the things lined up to get them into Yale, but then they can't, like, do their own laundry or cook food. Mm-hmm. Um, so the imbalance of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's my understanding of what they're explaining in the book yeah so i i guess i didn't get from the the talk what the real um issue was with social media like how they made the real connection between yeah it was exactly because of facebook it started at this time. It, it seemed like they were just very matter-of-fact about it. And I'm a yeah. bit skeptical of, like... I'm sure that they go into that more in the book, I would assume. Yeah. But they also said there's um, there there's another correlation with that age group having really, like, disproportionately high depression and anxiety right. affecting girls more, like, yes. than boys. And so... Um, and so I think that there is like a mental health component that like social media is exacerbating it at this point right the anxiety depression stuff uh, and like I guess suicide attempts and self harm Mm -hmm. uh, being hospitalized for that Um, right so I think that's their concern Um, I, I am I assume they talk about it in the book but we haven't read um what do you think so they they also talked about like like what it feels like to be a teacher in that time period mm-hmm. of like kids being really sensitive and not being able to handle like either pushback or another kind of idea um 
What do you what do you think the role of a teacher is? Like what is the role of a university? Should they be should they be pushing envelopes and like pushing you to kind of be outside of your comfort zone or should they be tailoring to what the student body wants? Uh I mean tailoring to what the students want. It, it's kind of like this weird thing. Cause academia is this institution that's been around a long time and there's like some sort of sacred aspect to mm-hmm. it of like now you just come here to get an education and you come here to get an education and that's it and um but there is some of that like i mean definitely some like marketing and i don't know if it's like going after profits or what but like there's definitely more it's like oh yeah check out like our elite fitness center and all the all the stuff on campus and it's come spend your money here instead of this other place right they definitely have to make money yep. even the nonprofit um schools yep. or private or whatever the structure is sure um one of the points they made was that one of the guy authors predicted that um maybe at some point soon it won't there won't be the same kind of value associated with these ivy league school graduates sure because of that phenomenon of being like really good on paper but not having like actual practical skills or there is a disproportionate amount of these like hypersensitive call out culture people that are coming from privileged backgrounds on the coasts Right. And so, though, like, you may not want to hire that kind of person if they're going to do that within your company. Right, right. They were just, like, they were talking about all the first and second year new hires from those Ivy League schools. And right. That, like, they were just a headache for HR to deal with. And, mm-hmm. Um and not ev- it's it's a minority, but it's like a loud minority. Right. So right. Mo- it's not everybody, obviously, that's sure in school sure. like that. Um. And I, I think it was somewhere around here where Malcolm Gladwell chimed in and was like, "Oh, aren't they kind of being vocal for a reason?" Or like, it was just like, "Well." It, it kind of sounded like he was just calling people out for just this general sense of like being conservative or um like oh these darn new kids and they're aren't they making it so hard for us right like 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 the reaction is coming across like just suck it up yeah right you know right instead of like yeah it, it just that reaction just feels like it completely delegitimizes it and okay like maybe that small minority is being like too sensitive or whatever it just like the way that they were presenting it didn't come across the right way to me Mm. it was like yeah just a bit too dismissive and I think he was challenging them on that and I didn't feel like they had a good response I think he did acknowledge that he's like well, we're just like two white guys talking about yeah, 
millennials or whatever generation iGen and and also people it talked about like generational like judging generational gaps yes and that everyone does that um and that that doesn't yeah that doesn't make that those qualms about that generation they might be valid like but it's just natural to complain about whatever is the younger generation yes and i do think it's like stereotypes or it's like it comes from a real place Mm-hmm. But I also don't feel like that's productive, like the generational criticisms, because yeah. well, I've seen so many things on like LinkedIn that are like millennials are killing TGI Fridays. It's like, it's like <laughs> <laughs> right, because we're all it's a different world. Like every, yeah. the different generations are living in a different version. Of, yeah. Well, it's just like I don't even know what that mean is there a value judgment attached to that it feels like there kind of is well sure because (laughs) but it's i don't here's what i don't understand like the current generation is saddled with problems created by the previous generations right Mm -hmm. and so like you can't yeah. Like, they're not... That generation is just dealing with it the best they can. Right. And there's not enough time for them to actually implement solutions. Like, we... You know, there's, like, a gap where it's just, like, painful for everyone, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> before something shifts. Um, yeah. So, like, baby boomers were making technology that led to where we are. Right. So we're just like the chain reaction. So I don't quite, and that's always the case. Like it, there's always this blame when it's like it, it's a chain reaction. Like right, I right. Understand. It's like oh, the millennials are so spoiled, or iGen like, is so spoiled. It's like you're the ones that, and also did we're that. your kids, right? Like we, you raised yeah. us, you created the environment we're in. Yeah, yeah. I think they, <laughs> they talked about that, like the. Oh, yeah, just that double standard or that... Yeah, double standard. Like, here's a trophy. Oh, man, you're so coddled. (laughs) And I think that's what um, Lenore's... Yeah. Is that her name? Yeah, she was explaining that idea at the beginning where she was saying, like, I didn't realize how sensitive the baby boomers were about these parenting styles. Yep. And I kind of think that's why millennials are raising kids with a a lot more openness. I think they're trying to combat that like, restrictive yeah, style. Free range. From like the 80s, 90s. I don't, there's something I don't like about that free range parenting. Well, I mean, it's, it's a spectrum for sure. Well, like, just the, no, just the name. Like it's a little bit. Like what? Repulsing. Because of chickens? Yeah, I think it's like somehow tying it to like organic food, and it's just like no, our kids aren't aren't food. (laughs) Like, is it objectifying? I don't. I just. I, why? Yeah. What? What? what Like the thing I would call that the opposite is like overprotective, and it's just yeah, I like openness or. 
open parenting. Open parenting. Or, I don't know. If there's right, but that's not it. like a very marketable term. It's like helicopter parenting. Yeah. Like that's a that's a kind of harsh image. Sure. Right. Helicopter is like typically associated with like a war context mm-hmm. or some kind of oppressive maybe. Sure. Imagery. I don't know. All right. We're also not parents. Disclaimer. Um, sure. So we're not totally wrapped up in that world. There may be other terms, like other words people are using. Yes. I don't know. Anything else to say about that topic? Mm. What... What about your, like, or uh, we can talk about our, like, experience being raised in the kind of politically correct 90s? So we weren't quite as um, bombarded by technology yet, right? Right. They were just integrating computers into schools and into homes. Yeah. Because so. I just started college when Facebook was like available to all colleges mm-hmm. you just had to have an edu address what about when you were like in that middle school age so that's when they're talking about um technology ne- sort of negatively impacting developmental growth or even uh, elementary school oh no um i mean we had Sega Genesis and like. Well, I guess I'm asking more like okay, so like I felt like I was not overparented at all. Like I was given a lot of freedom. I think I didn't abuse it, which is why I think I had it. Um, but I remember in middle school, like in math class, not even being able to use a calculator. Like sure. if the teacher would, yeah, you know, to not. I think I had that rammed down my throat most so, of my life. So, I just felt like the the adults were prepping us for a world that wasn't coming. Yeah, which is interesting, right? They were like, "You have I, to be able to do long division." Well, like, yeah, they're good like, luck and you have to do this the way. It, it's just like that slave to history or tradition or Mm. um do you feel like how do you feel like we benefited or didn't benefit from that context um let's see i i keep coming back to this thing that uh one of my instructors i did a data science boot camp and he was talking about how he he would like hold it against someone if he were interviewing them and they used like a normal distribution table it's like if they said oh yeah just look it up in a table you're like what you have computers now just like go Mm. (laughs) look up a z-score um and use the function that actually does that in python or whatever um Sorry for, di- sorry for the digression. Are you thinking or 
that for what <laughs> that just I had that on my mind and I had to get it out. Okay, it's out there now. It's on the internet. Yeah. Um. I I feel kind of I feel like we were lucky actually. Um. That we we've had a that little. That we had to do it the hard way. Did I interrupt you? I interrupted you. My bad. Um, that we had the benefit of the older, old school kind of way. So we had some freedom and like we were not quite as um, bombarded with the negative part of technology. So we had some cool things like CD players or like maybe basic video games and they were integrating the computer and we were we were learning the computer from a young age right yeah so then it got more amped up like when we were adults like in college and i just think we kind of dodged a bullet in terms of like sure. really getting the negative well, yeah part I, of that i sort of feel like that's what our teachers were trying to like shield us from Maybe they saw that, it, yeah. Is that, well, it's like, oh, why do I have to know how to do this if I can just use a calculator? It's like, you need a calculator to do 7 divided by 2? Like, it was just... <laughs> well, well, what that allowed us to do was, like, use... It, it's like it forces you to learn how to problem solve right and use different parts of your brain whether that's mm -hmm. easy or hard for you 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 like still had to to kind of strengthen that yeah i, I think that's part of what is they were saying is like stunting that group is that they're not they're not like connecting enough synapses or they're not like sure utilizing enough parts well, of themselves i don't know i mean i i feel like there's some um with, with the calculator example, there's some benefit to just being able to do something quickly for yourself. Yes. It's like, well, you may not have a calculator. You're not, I guess you do now with cell phones, but you didn't back then. You didn't always have a calculator on you. And it was just like, oh, can I, someone's going to give me some piece of information and I can make a practical um, analysis on the spot right here. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, okay, I can get a sense of, like, the order of magnitude of what will happen if I divide these two numbers or add them together. Um, I'm not completely reliant on technology to tell me what to do. Right, because I think the truth is you need both sets of skills. You need, and maybe this is true for all points in time, like, you need to know how to do the old way, and you need to be able to integrate it with the new things yeah. that are coming up like you have to know how to use a computer right like period no matter what your age is so i think that's part well, yeah. of it what do you think about the gps thing that like basically everyone has a cell phone now and the only way they know how to get around is with with the GPS, like 
there's no like it's terrifying if you don't have your phone and they're like oh I'm lost well it is like it is its own skill to essentially memorize something the first time right like yeah. like if you're trying if someone shows you how to get somewhere and then you have to find your way back like you need to like have some observational cues to help right. you right? right so that kind of skill you can i think you would pick up on it like if something happened like the grid goes down or whatever extreme situation like you you would figure it out in in a little while right like you could right um some, yeah some I, things I, like that you would pick up on um i think it's like there's a piece of advice people give it's you should when you move to a new city you should learn how to walk the city like yes live somewhere really central and just walk everywhere and then you will actually know your way around mm -hmm. um and i don't i feel like now i'm in that position here but i didn't um it's like you sort of learn your neighborhood but even then like i definitely have noticed a difference of like having gps like maybe it was my first couple of years of college where I didn't really... I don't think I had a smartphone yet. I think I was late to have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. So I just had a phone with, like, unlimited texting, and that was the big thing then. Yeah. Uh, I remember just looking, like, I would just look it up and write write down instructions. Like, yeah. I would just handwrite. Yeah, be the old MapQuest. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, back in the day, early on, remember how it, like, didn't lead you to where you wanted to go precisely. It just, like, got you close. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Remember it was, like, sort of unreliable? And, um, and so you knew that you would have to kind of navigate Yeah, now the GPS end. is so good because they say, like, take the second from the left lane to yes. turn. Yes. So it was more vague sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, before, and, right? Uh, when they were mapping it out, I remember that being on road trips, and mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like take a left turn and then take a right turn, and you didn't know it was like immediately you had to get over four lanes. Yeah, or it would ask you to do something that didn't exist because it was like still oh. mapping out. Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes it was just straight up, it just wasn't real. Right. Um. Yeah. So I just remembered trying to learn about it beforehand but the truth is you can always like stop and ask people and you but that's like a critical thinking skill like okay where am i what a i think we have a lot more social phobia now because you can it's like there's sort of this push to be a little bit more self-reliant like oh well there's like this fear of getting some um clapping back at you and being like well, oh don't you have a phone see i'm definitely that way like yeah. in my mind like if i'm at a bus stop and someone asks me a question about the bus or directions or whatever yeah. i'm like figure it out i don't know like i don't know the answer right like how why are you here if you don't have a plan is my thought <laughs> i'm just that's, that's like the honest <laughs> answer <laughs> Because, Harsh. because the like, 
it's accessible and if you're I don't know like what like don't get on the bus and ask the bus driver where you're going if you really don't have to right I, that's what I feel like I think some people actually don't have a cell phone that's true or their cell phone battery died or whatever sure so I I think the bus drivers like to help they generally not the ones that I mean <laughs> I don't know what bus you're I guess getting it on. depends on maybe it's how cordial the person is when they're asking I just feel like bus drivers are like so fried and over it I don't want to put any really? more yeah. I don't I don't get that what bus line are you on what are you, what are you where are you <laughs> I feel like I guess not the same ones you are well now you will be since you've moved yeah we'll be using the same ones but I, I don't think I'm gonna take the bus from here I think I can walk everywhere okay so I might jump on for if it's like just happens to be coming by then I might hop on for a minute yeah I just I I just feel like I want to take as much responsibility myself like to the edge of my capacity I think I'm trying to get over that that's too much that's too stressful it's like there's so many times where it's just like oh yeah I could look this up myself and I may or may not find the answer or I'm just talking to this person right here Mm -hmm. and they they would be happy to tell me or worse neutral like sure um so I it feels better to like get those five minutes in my day back yes but so I I think my thought for myself is like that's my default plan my plan is not to hope that someone's going to be there for me to talk to oh okay yeah taken to that other extreme yeah like i'm i'm just like as ready within reason like it's and i'm not i'm not being like rigid and extreme about it but it's like okay if i'm going here i can at least look it up and familiarize myself and figure out which bus line I'm going on and which direction and what time I should leave. Like, that's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. And I allocate time for that, you know? Or I'll set an alarm so I, I leave on time or whatever. Like, We're, I try to set myself up. You have a lot of project management skills, though. Like, you can back most, into, like, you're like, oh, I need to get this done by this time. Oh, and that requires these four other things. So, are most people not like that? <laughs> no. <Okay. laughs> You're okay. like, ah, that's a bunch of stuff, and I'll figure it out. Oh, shit, that took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. I'll be 15 minutes late. Um, yeah, I can't. So, how are people getting stuff done? They... Just, like, hustling and yeah, figuring yeah. out? Yeah. Stressing out about it, and then... Yeah. Like, when I watch people that are really spontaneous and and um, just kind of, like, flying by the seat of their pants kind of stuff, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, 
how are you, how are you ever going to accomplish anything? But huh? but people do it, you know. It just feels like it feels like a stressful approach. And I understand that it may it's not really a choice probably. It's like more of how you're wired. Um and I, I, I you can work on that as a skill. You can counter balance yourself with other things but i don't know i just feels like stressful sure to be that way in this culture with these expectations oh yeah i think that's a skill i kept hearing about earlier on in my career um it's like oh yeah just like push back and set expectations like people are just always going to ask you for more yeah and then you're just like, no, no, I, I can't do it. You don't even, like, say it in a stressed out way. You're just like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. Like, I've got these four other things. Yeah, that's just not going to work. Um, but the first couple times you say it, you're, like, super overwhelmed. It's like, I can't do it. Or you're, like, afraid of feeling like you're letting them down. and you, Or that, like, they might think you're bullshitting them or something like that and that like oh you're just being lazy um anyway there's all those like irrational fears i just well i just think it's interesting how most people don't appear to have very healthy boundary skills yeah and there's a lot of judgment from people that are perceiving like how like setting healthy boundaries like when you do that you might come across as like like mm, that we're not what, open enough to accepting boundaries right like what you're saying like these reactions to just yeah. saying no right. to something so people would rather you say yes and not do a good job not do it on time stress yourself out and you can self-medicate somehow right like that feels crazy but that's uh, like a choice that seems like positively reinforced yeah, I mean, that's the easy thing. That's like that, a path of least resistance, I guess. Yeah, that's the greedy solution. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, this is going to make that person slightly happier now than if I were just honest about the situation. And Why is it hard for people to be straightforward and just honest about whatever why i think think people want a reason or like 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 if you have if you're like no i can't do that it's like there's also this wanting a justification so what if you say because i'm so tired i could fall asleep right now like or what it does have to be a good reason i think that's kind of implicit yeah I just think that people are pushing themselves past totally. their capacity and they're expecting you to do the same. And then yeah, they get right. resentful because yes. they're not setting the boundaries. And then when you set the boundaries, it's like, well, that's not fair because I'm pushing myself past my limit and you're not. And it's like yeah, almost I, like you have, being a good I, person is I think sacrifice. that's kind of like that's sort of touching on like nice guy syndrome. Mm. where it's oh yeah wait 
like there's it's kind of having these like hidden contracts and then you're pissed off that this person didn't hold up their end of the contract that they didn't sign and then the person that's upset with you won't tell you they'll just tell other people behind your back (laughs) and they will fume Uh and build resentment for infinity Mm -hmm. instead of like doing the easier thing it's just just talking to you they won't talk to you and then they'll get mad that you don't know without them telling you that you should know right so it's that whole like mind reading assumption yeah sure and then the cycle is just like what is that what do you what do you get out of that and then you're like so and so is whatever because they don't understand what i mean because i'm not telling them yeah no matter how no matter how you can tell i'm like actually thinking I think of you've real had scenarios this personal experience <laughs> but it's like you like no matter how you set up the situation no matter if you're like reassuring them like feel free to tell me be direct i can handle it or no matter what you do right yeah it's just hard for me to understand what the advantage is because it's it presents itself like you want this scenario to keep looping like you're benefiting from the stress or the victimhood or the drama of the situation being dysfunctional and i'm not getting i'm not understanding yeah so that's hard for me sure it would be one thing if the person was aware of that but typically not typically people are not right and it's hard for me to accept that that's like to accept that that's how people like maybe that's how the person is and that's where they're at and i can't expect anything different yeah i I think it's an awareness thing i feel like we've talked about this on episode two or something like why do people make it things difficult for themselves yeah it's a thing i think about a lot because i i feel like i see it a lot and the reason why it makes me upset is because it affects me negatively when people do that right there's a a, usually a consequence to their behavior and i am impacted in some way but there's it's like nothing i can do about it yeah and i can tell that my mind wants to try to figure it out like it's like oh well maybe if i understand then i can like change the situation i can influence but that's not true either as i think a lot of people don't want to change sure you have to it takes willpower and you only have so much of that yeah yeah and and it's a lot of work to like rewire yeah totally And you can't, I, I can't accelerate that process in someone else. Like, I can't, that's not even an option. Well, right. It's and hard to change people, and it's not a healthy road to go down. Even if I could, I probably shouldn't. You know, yeah. even if I could, it's like not my timeline. What were we talking about that led us to this? I forget. 
What was our original point here? Uh, I don't know. I think it was a good digression. Okay. Um, should we go to talk about the other thing? Andrew Yang. Yang Gang? Yeah. The Yang Gang, yes. Um, sure. Uh, where do you want to start? Should we just say what he's about? Or... S- Right, so um, we just went to a political rally for Andrew Yang in Seattle, and I had originally heard of him from from a podcast he did with Joe Rogan, which I believe was in March of this year. And so I've been kind of looking at him over the course of the past few months. Um, Yeah, um, I think I heard about him a few months ago, uh, and then you said you were going to this, and I, I, all I knew about him was the universal basic income thing, so mm-hmm. he wants to give every American 18 to 64 a freedom dividend of $1,000. A month. That, yes. That is, um, what else about it? Oh, that it's like opt-in. So if you've got multiple other sources of government income, it's like this, you opt into this and then forego your other benefits. Um, and so there's, he talks some about, a stigma around receiving government benefits in some way and it's just like it's okay to get something um, because everyone's getting this thousand dollars a month regardless of how much they're making everyone gets a thousand bucks right and it's um, part of it is because we're like US citizens and it's it's just like a dividend from being all the work that we've done in the generations leading up to this point. Right. So it's yeah. a it's a payoff, a direct payoff from the contribution that you've made as an individual and um, it mirrors the um, the system that's being used in Alaska right now where um, residents there are getting a similar type of dividend uh, from the oil that is generated in Alaska. And so his argument is that Technology is the oil yep. of the freedom dividend. Yes. Well, so there's there's a lot I um, I like about this idea, um, and that it's like I kind of like the idea of that water line going up the of this universal basic income, and it's it's sort of a benchmark for the progress we've made and it's like yeah this is acknowledging we don't have to do this cumbersome work anymore um no one has to do this thing anymore it's like you you figure out how to make pipes and water to flow between different things and it's like yeah no one has to go down to the well anymore and get this water bucket and so it's like sort of this weird thing when a job gets automated that 
it'll everyone kind of claims that oh new jobs will get made out of it oh you'll need someone to like engineer the pipes or whatever but still the bulk of it is of the work goes away right and i i just feel like that's part it's like to me i feel like the like from the industrial revolution all the way through the 20th century it's like wasn't the wasn't the hope and the benefit of accelerating technology and automation and precision and all these different things to provide relief for the for human beings weren't yeah. wasn't that like supposed to be a perk right it, it, yeah it, it's like every time you just have to go back to zero like that's the way it's kind of structured right now is that oh you have to you have to work to survive right and the time you're saving it's like the thing that i imagine is okay you're like a housewife in the 50s or something and they have this like vacuum cleaner that you can use now instead of Mm -hmm. whatever okay so now you're using this vacuum cleaner the process is more efficient and it's and it's um fast and better and then the expectation is well now you have to do more chores like like it wasn't that you got leisure time like you didn't gain the value of the time you saved you just tacked on more expectation for production right and that's what like that feels like that's what's been happening sure yeah that's so we're not so to me like the the dividend is like here is the finally like some actual benefit yeah from what we've been doing right well yeah i mean it kind of goes along with incentive structures at companies where um you'll get like stock for for the company and then it's like oh yeah like everyone's kind of got a little bit of skin in the game and um, it's like it feels like especially empowering if you're at a smaller company it's like oh yeah I could like influence this I like actually have an impact here um, and, and, and and it's like you can kind of do that with with this dividend it's like oh yeah if I make progress that makes everyone else better off right and it would be like the first month you would see benefits yeah like the first oh, i mean like a thousand bucks to to low-income workers is enormous it's like or like a first year college like to that 18 year old um it's night and day yes it, it disproportionately helps the people that are struggling the most and vulnerable populations and people with disadvantages and i think that's another yeah. positive outcome it, sure. it instantaneously provides some relief for the huge groups like that minority groups yeah so i haven't heard this as a criticism before but it just came to me okay is uh single parents it's they get hit they get the thousand bucks help but mm-hmm. they don't get the two thousand bucks that a normal two-parent family has mm-hmm um, and that's, you know, they've still got the kids. I don't know. Just 
sure. something to chew on. Sure. And I think that's true still in the welfare system right now. Like, there's a disadvantage. Like, being a single adult is the most disadvantaged. You get more support b- based on the dependency, like your kids. And I, I would assume, yeah, and so you don't get as much if you're a single parent versus two parent. I think that's how that's. But one thing that it might encourage is like families coming together in a different way. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. your parents moving in with you or your aunt or, you know, or another family member, maybe combining yeah. households even to right. just like make the money more efficient or more whatever which could be a good thing too just community wise like sure I, I hadn't really thought of that I, the thing I was jumping to just now is just like the um, how much more risk it lets you take it's like sure. it actually would let people pursue becoming an artist or something like that yeah. you know say your living expenses are like 2000 a month or something and then oh well I don't have any like marketable skills so I have to work full time or more and to mm-hmm. like to make that oh suddenly oh I only have to work half that so I can yes. work 20 hours a week and then pursue this thing I actually enjoy yes. and one day it might pay off yes. and it will pay off because I'm going to invest so much time in it and yes yeah yes and I, I I think that there's so many benefits to it um, it would I think one reason why it's hard for some people to manage money and for like bad habits to be passed down is because the, people don't have any money to practice managing mm-hmm. right like you're you always are either have like barely enough or you don't have nearly enough yeah. and so it's all it always feels like you're using like unhealthy habits with it and I think that could also help that situation sure where you legitimately have enough money to to get it what you need yeah yeah it like the thing i like the best about it is it kind of diverges this money for survival versus money to like have nice things right and it's all intertwined now and you have to um it's the same currency Mm mm-hmm it's there's just something that feels weird about it that okay yeah like when you lose your job it's like terrifying because oh i may not be able to survive or like have to make some really drastic change of like moving in with a relative or something like that and this like would allow some level of autonomy and it would definitely soften the blow Yes, and it would it would um, reduce the amount of people that are like kicked out of their apartment or whatever because of these random emergency circumstances mm-hmm. where because you don't have a backup plan. Right. Well, th- think how much 
easier it is to get that thousand dollar emergency fund that like what is it 60 percent of americans don't have right uh when you get a thousand dollars a month right so that's it's twelve thousand a year which is below the poverty, poverty limit line. yeah um it's not enough to necessarily live on like as an individual by yourself in most places um so that's his argument it's not like replacing income right it's supposed to augment what you're already doing sure uh, or what you're capable of doing yeah i i kind of think most people don't want to just make enough to survive yes yes that's a kind of oh i i have enough to survive or maybe just under but then i have all this time to like pursue something i'm naturally curious about and there's going to be some way if you spend if you can dedicate yourself full time to something you can monetize it mm-hmm. um, or if, and even if not it's like well i can put a few hours a week into something that is not enjoyable but at least i can like help get above that right that line and um another thing is so andrew yang went on ben shapiro's show yep and so we all we know that ben has opinions about welfare which um i thought they had a good dialogue uh like yeah. i feel like ben respected the fact that Andrew Yang was willing to come on and yeah I, I thought Ben was the most cordial I've ever seen him mm-hmm. and they have some they have some common like they have it, a common background they both yeah. have law degrees and they both worked for a few months um, at law firms and they both hated it and quit yeah and they're pretty business minded and yeah um, family yeah. oriented <laughs> Yeah, Andrew Yang is a uh, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and I guess what's what was Ben Shapiro's background after he um, quit the I th- law firm? I thought he started doing was it radio? Was it is this a thing to look up? <laughs> what what did Ben Shapiro do? Um, basically, between being a lawyer and 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 what he's doing right now yeah well, self-employed i thought he was at some point I, yeah i thought he was just kind of like a had a career was he writing or not he wasn't like a reporter he was i thought he was like a writer for a while can you blow that up Jared? so okay so he author columnist okay yeah so in 2012 he was a columnist for Breitbart when did he finish college 2007 okay oh ran a consulting firm yeah so he had a, a similar like um kind of entrepreneur self yeah. self um self-led projects um but ben shapiro argue so 
his argument is that most um, people, lower income people, don't manage money very well, even when they're given support. So there's some kind of statistic about a certain percentage of the population using uh, or buying lottery tickets sure. with um, money when they have it. Yeah, and I think he even gave some credence to why that is and it's like do, do you mean there's a gen there's do you like, mean andrew yang uh, i forget or, okay. who said it there was like there's this general feeling of despair of like this is the only way i'll have a shot of like having a decent amount of money this is the only way that i could make could become a millionaire is if i win the lottery right Right, and that's part of my point about bad habits. Like, if you don't have money to manage, you don't know how to grow. You don't understand yeah. the concepts of how to grow it or how to spend it or how to make decisions. Right. So you're just, like, doing desperate things that intellectually you understand that the lottery is not going to make you a millionaire. Yeah, but, like, I, I think there's some element of it that's totally, like, I get that thinking and it sure. makes sense it's like what is my probability of becoming a millionaire if i work minimum wage the rest of my life sure. it's zero what's my probability of becoming a millionaire if i play the lottery every week well it's non-zero and that's <laughs> what i feel like ben shapiro doesn't understand like yeah. he doesn't understand that mindset yeah of of that level of poverty or what right. that world is like yeah so it's like the one way that someone can dream big is playing the lottery. Yes, and it it's like a hopeful process. Yeah. There's like an excitement to it, like the actual kind of gambling part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it makes you feel like proactive, like you're doing something. Have Have you heard of this no lose lottery? No. What is um, that? They talked about some on Freakonomics. It's a so it's a bank account that they have in some places um i think they had they rolled it out in texas um and the idea is you accept a lower level of return on the interest rate but uh they randomly give out a prize of it's not like lottery size but it's like you know 10 or a hundred thousand dollars um and so it gets you to that you know your retirement goal or something and so it's like it's it's not like you're just setting the lighting the money on fire like you do with the lottery but you still you still save uh yeah i think it's also called like prize link savings yes um So it's an interesting kind of play on that psychology. Yes, and I just think, again, like, people are not poor. Most I just feel like most people in poverty, low-income situations don't want to be there. And they would yeah. be willing to figure out what to do if they had a little bit of of tools yes if you gave them something to work with like i think along with the freedom dividend you could invest in i i'm even just an online platform of like different 
money management things or having people available like to help consult you with even just like opening bank accounts filing taxes whatever any component of money management um because yeah you have to have it though to to figure it out to experiment sure yeah there doesn't need to be a secret about how to manage money right and 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 recognizing things like those cash advance places are not helping you that's not a good route to go you know just like real practical strategies and and i do think a lot of people would step up and and pull themselves out of their circumstance after even just maybe a few months of receiving a thousand dollars a month once they trusted that it was actually gonna come right and that they 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 recognize that it was real i think it would make a really big difference even just like six months sure and and, yeah i mean i think that's a the whole poor people are poor for a reason thing i would guess if you look at data or something it it's it's like a stereotype thing that you can be really used the wrong way to unfairly target poor people uh, so i would say yes i wouldn't be surprised if on average the lowest income people are worse on average at managing money than well off people like if you put a poor person and sure but a a wealthier person has more experience managing money which i think is your point and and the availability of resources to like pay someone to help you or Mm -hmm. um to have your parents set you up with certain habits sure yeah there's so many factors and i think i think we would be surprised i think we'd be pleasantly surprised at how people do yeah well i i I think it's that uh this kind of laziness or squandering Mm -hmm. thing is more of like the minority i think most people have good intentions yes and i also think about the the segment of the population that especially is living outside um like what a difference it would make for people with certain mental health issues that are not receiving medication because right. they don't have money so you know okay let's say you're you're home you're like a traditional homeless person with some kind of mental health maybe addiction issues whatever the circumstance or profile maybe the first few months you blow it or it's like all on drugs or it's all on whatever your sort of worst case scenario thing of spending the money on but i think after a while if you get over that initial like sort of binge of using the money and realizing it's coming and stable um that you might like why would you not look for like resources after a certain point it may be a different amount of time for each person but it's like eventually you might realize well i can like get medication i need or i can pay for insurance or i can like 
fix my car or whatever right. it is. Yeah, I can actually improve my situation with this. Yeah, so even if you're even if people are just able to get actual medicine and not having to self-medicate. Yeah. That would make such a difference for uh, like several people in that population, I think. Um and I also don't like I just don't understand the judgment on our part of saying why like if you want to buy a thousand dollars of lottery tickets with your money every month forever Mm -hmm. like go for it oh yeah because that's i think that was something ben shapiro liked about it he's libertarian or right you don't have the right to tell me how to spend my money it's like it empowers the person it's not government restricted. Yeah, it's we're not and, trying to engineer you yes. on what you're supposed to do and tell you how to live your life. It's, yes, you have you're a human being and you get to make decisions. And it's I I just like the idea of it being a resource because you don't have to opt into it. You can keep doing what you're doing. Yep. Like it doesn't even have to affect you if you don't want it to. But if you decide, hey, I want to start taking a really expensive medication that might help me, right? Even something as simple as like diabetes. Because at least in Seattle, I think the statistic is um, a homeless person dies like every three days or something. It's like a hundred something people a year. And so some of that is really simple medical things that you can yeah. take care of with pro- not even just a thousand dollars but less right um and and even another component would just be buying higher quality food like not just eating like sure. gas station food sure even just like being able to go to subway or something right simple like upgrades yeah getting people off the the processed food not that yeah and then in the context of well they could still do that if they wanted to right Um, right yeah i mean i'm kind of more in the camp of "Ah, let's nudge people to make better choices so and i do what i believe also would happen is like within these communities well um andrew yang is he he says he says that like people would spend money in their community so that's another reason why it's like a positive investment like you would be spending money some of it locally and and also just contributing to your economy but um i do think that the change would have to come from within these communities so the habits right um whether it's like um a neighborhood of a certain ethnicity or like uh, maybe a homeless population or something i think there would be a handful of people that would start modeling positive behavior and they would adapt and then they could help create some influence of change i don't feel like that is a lofty like yeah like that feels very reasonable right there would just be like some some influence within the community um, I guess the community building doesn't immediately resonate with me um, that that would happen like the thing that I get is that 
poorer people have a higher marginal propensity to consume each additional dollar they get. So they just, they're more likely to spend a dollar if they get a dollar versus save it or invest it in to throw sure. it into offshore bank accounts. So is that kind of the gist of like the community building thing or is it something, uh, something else? Um, well, I think, I know Andrew Yang has said that um, part of what you can do with your the money that you could save and the time that you can possibly buy from it is you may want to start a new business. Mm -hmm. You may want to invest an idea your friend has. You may want to, um, you know, <coughs> instead of buying everything off of Amazon, maybe you you start going to a local grocery store or a local furniture store or whatever like you could kind of spend money on things that you value if that's what you want to do i guess if i'm thinking about um like the homeless or transient population i i just i think those people tend to stick together in a like they're working together in a team more so than like we are right like yep. they're kind of you i think there are groups of people that help each other find different resources or just to make to live together or to watch out for each other right there's a lot more risk happening so what i'm what i'm thinking is that if you can if you're giving if you're putting in this money in these people's hands like somebody whoever is already kind of managing the group maybe the high like higher functioning people those people can have influence maybe on other people in a way hmm. like little tribes little like family units of of these people can maybe collectively get uh, better yeah yeah it's oh we're all getting a thousand dollars a month yeah an extra income like let's, let's get an apartment something. Yeah. Like, like somebody is going to have the wherewithal to maybe have a plan that people can benefit from. Yeah, but, yeah. It's you can more stuff like co-ops would yes. exist. Yeah, because um, that's already how I feel like they're surviving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, so, here's kind of. Uh, just some reaction I had okay. to it that's maybe skepticism. Mm -hmm. And that's this... We're sort of saying... I, I don't know. I Are we saying that money's sort of a problem and then it sort of seems like we're saying, hey, let's solve the money problem with more money. Right. I think that's what Ben Shapiro kind of said mm -hmm. in some ways. Um yeah, his arg I think his argument part of it was that it's not really about the money, it's like the people. Yeah. And the I, system. I, um I felt like Andrew Yang's thing was like, well, money's just like a tool. It's like a proxy to give people tools to go do things. Right. Um and I think that's that makes some sense to me. I think I've heard this uh I guess it's like I hear it commonly on the right of, and Ben Shapiro said it about 
Oh, the problem is just individual responsibility and just individuals need to be more charitable. It's like, well, they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's never been the case. Yeah. Well, and you just don't have the incentive structure um, to do that. Right. And, And it's... Yeah. It's what we're doing isn't working right now. So even if you don't believe in this thousand dollars a month thing, I do feel like it's the best thing we should be doing right now. Maybe it's not something we should do forever. Yeah. And maybe that I I don't know if it should be a long term solution. Um, But I do feel like there is a really direct need for more people to have more money like right now. Yeah, well, I feel like there's this, um, it's it's this like survival anxiety thing. Yeah, and um, I think Andrew Yang mentioned it that it's like households with poverty perform like thirteen points lower on IQ tests. Yes, and it's just like you have this constant. Uh, mental load of like how am I going to eat tonight yes (laughs) if you just don't have to worry about that so just having you know having this burden off your shoulder makes you more productive yes and I, I think it's you can invest in your society and view it as a portfolio of people some of them are going to squander the money most of them aren't or that's you you can debate that but maybe maybe even if most of them do then there's that sub-segment of the population who hits a home run right and so so it's to me it's worth trying yeah well so it's yeah it's look at look at the data and see what happens what like um, I'd be curious to see to run it as an experiment, and I think Andrew Yang might cite some, thing, like he cites Alaska, and he I think there's some other countries, and and there's um, other times in history where people were trying to vote yeah. it in and wanted it, and economists that said forecasted that it would be beneficial in different ways. So I think it's better than what we're doing now, which is clearly not working and and of course you know andrew yang is anticipating um the automation of a lot of jobs and systems and the and the reality that you can't there's not going to be possibly enough labor to go around yeah right not the right kind of labor based on the population skill set at least right now right so maybe people's skills can be tailored in the future to where there's enough jobs and work and and people can generate their own money whatever but i just think he's trying to anticipate the hump that we're going to need to get over as we transition into this what they're he's calling like the fourth industrial revolution yeah yeah well like i guess um we have this system of capitalism and patents and everything uh, and then there's like also this world that's has some popularity 
even like software development of like open sourcing things it's like say we solve the food like we could feed everyone for virtually free it was completely automated and then we could house everyone and it was completely automated it's like what is that society look like and then what do people do with their time and it's like do you still throw this thing oh well you've got to work to survive or it's like well do you acknowledge that wait we've come this far as society Mm -hmm. and you don't have to work to survive but you do have to work to get nice things yes and I, I think we're not equipped and we're not, we don't have systems in place to foster that, like what that reality would look like. Because like the way school is structured right now, and I think the original sort of format of school was to prepare you to work in factories, essentially. Mm. And then we, now we have this, I guess like an expectation of, prepping you for college right like you're kind of checking all these boxes off to be in school like university which just feels like a manipulation from higher education to get money out of you yeah um yeah i just thinking about school now as an adult and having worked in the real world for so much longer um than I originally had like how poorly it prepares you that it is that kind of authoritarian thing where you just have to listen to someone the whole all day and, and listen to them lecture and there's no like engagement and, and it ca- share of sharing of ideas and and it really only caters to really specific learning styles and yeah. personality types so yeah it like school kind of worked for me i'm an introvert and like kind of thinking like about stem things. i don't <laughs> mind i don't mind as much as other people being told what to do it's like okay that's that's fine right and you were interested in like you know like the stem yeah. right like subjects and um, you could apply your skill sets in a pretty valuable way. Like you can get paid pretty well for what you like to do and can do. Um, but it's like anybody that anybody that was either wired differently, had any kind of like disability yeah. or <laughs> like, barrier of any kind really could not it was so it would be so hard to adapt that you couldn't really get the subject matter in the same way like you just struggle just to like be sort of average yeah um and i don't really see the point of that and i and i I, like we were talking before we were recording like like why not play to people's strengths like why not start with strengths instead of trying to like mold everybody into the same box yeah um and i think that we may be forced to do that actually if we're going to kind of work ourselves out of jobs um 
but that brings me to another thing a thought that's kind of interesting is like um we're kind of in this movement of uh anti-science conspiracy theory um i don't know what what uh, what else you would call that but like there's an uptick in that kind of stuff also at the same time as i think we were talking about this or it's like isn't that such a privileged position to be yes an anti-vaxxer anti-vaccines and it's like weird that's really weird to me that we lose the the um like historical memory of what that was like like there are people alive that remember what it was like to have the measles or whatever polio smallpox whatever like kind of thing you want to talk about um and there's more money in like more privileged diseases right so they were eradicating things that like proportionally affected wealthier or you know like the same people that are anti-vaccine i feel like yeah right that's an interesting point like they're not focusing research and money on vaccines that affect like tropical indigenous poor people in other countries Mm -hmm. it's like that's just how part of how it is it's not as marketable to investors sure so it's weird to me that the people that are benefiting from the vaccine that that it was tailored to benefit are like uh, i don't need this you know well, yeah i mean but it's like a generational gap too it's it's really it's so odd to me i don't even know how to think about it i understand like i understand what different people's reasoning is and i like i i get the their train of thought but it's like why I don't <laughs> like why would you risk getting the measles you don't want your kid to have autism is the there's not that's that's what they're saying right? I know but that's and that's fake whoever, news whichever celebrities that's said fake that. news <laughs> people like anecdotes and not data right so so part of what I'm what I'm thinking is like what it seems to be happening is we are kind of automating ourselves we are we are creating a level of efficiency to where we have this like degree of leisure time that we have never had access to before so we may we you know everybody can have what they need in theory and we may be forced to do that because there won't be enough labor but then what seems to be happening is people are not using like like what you were saying is that's a privileged perspective to decide not to vaccinate or that the earth is flat or that space isn't real Mm -hmm. or the moon landing was a hoax like that is a privileged experience if you were in survival mode you'd be too busy like farming hunting whatever 
Yeah. Right? Like, at a right. certain time period, you wouldn't necessarily even have time to explore that. So I'm wondering how much of that is going to... Are there going to be more people that are doing that? If we change the structure? I mean, isn't the issue... That kind of feels just like a lack of education thing. Or it's like those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Do you think it's education, though? Like, some people are really educated that believe these... Like, like let's assume it's not education. Let's assume that these people are, like, going to college, like... Well, so there's something that's convincing them. Right, that's what I mean. Like, what is that? Maybe next episode we get an anti-vaxxer on here and feel out what that what are they feeling what where is this coming from is it based on data is it you can make things sound sciencey right you can use jargon and you uh-huh. can kind of you can kind of spin it right sure so, I, I mean enough for it, it it sounds like you're implying a well-educated person can fall for use of jargon yes. even if it like isn't a well-crafted argument yes yeah yes because for a time like last year i guess within the past year i was looking at a lot of flat earth things on like youtube and websites and whatever and i was just like just like trying to learn what people were saying and i remember at some point like there were some times where i was like hey like maybe that like i could see that like i could i could see for i sort of suspended disbelief like i could i felt persuaded sometimes even just for a moment where it it felt like convincing but especially like the the math where they're trying to use like formulas and measurements and they're not actually applying the problems correctly, or they're not—they're not doing them. So if you're not like, a math, hey, there's numbers. It must be real, <laughs> right? I read this article on the internet. It must be true, right? And they're—they're, they're, you know, they're talking about like the like degrees and angles and what you should be able to see and how yeah. like planes doing this and different measurements, right? And it—it it feels persuasive if you look at it or if you're not familiar with what they're really saying um and like i don't know i watched the documentary on netflix about the flat earth the i forget what it's called um one one earth maybe something i haven't Uh, seen it yeah so there are two times in that where they have footage of people doing experiments that prove the earth is curved and they are not persuaded like they're doing they're using like lasers and doing distance measurements about where the laser should be Uh based on right the curve and it should be here if it's curved and here if it's not and whatever and it's not it's not the results are not showing that it's flat from experiments that they've created. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something 
I don't know how if that's just like their entire mindset is anti-science is it seems like the way you do science is you agree on the rules ahead of time and you're like all right if this happens then I'll change my mind it's like you say this is what needs to happen in order for me to like be convinced there's the whole like p-value um argument right but they're not p-value <laughs> but they're not being persuaded even by their own results yeah. it's like the laser is showing there's an elevation it's there's a curve or whatever and you did the experiment you thought you had the equipment you're seeing it with your own eyes so yep. it's not it's not about the flat earth that's what i think yeah it's not about that it, and what i don't understand is what is it really about obviously there's like these conspiracy like government influencing you manipulating you lying to you components sure but i don't know i i don't understand like in general i have a hard this because i was this is part of what i was saying earlier i have a hard time understanding like when you don't acknowledge the thing it, like you're wrong and you change your mind or like that you're not actually trying to do the like the thing the real thing that's realistic or real like you want to you want the problem to be a problem still mm. you like the problem you like having a problem you don't want the solution like you really don't want it solved that's really hard for me to understand i think i get intellectually i can get it but like the way it plays out like that feels like such a painful solution sure. that's like a painful approach yeah and I'm, I'm not understanding um it seems like a might be like a man's search for meaning thing where like if your entire if you make your like entire life objective this one thing and then you work on it every day you work your entire life on it you don't really make progress on it and then one day you get it and um maybe the don't really making progress thing is irrelevant but whatever you work on this thing every day and that's your meaning you're like i'm gonna work on this problem and it's your it's your uh white whale and captain ahab it's your sure like this your objective oh well now you've caught it and what do you, what do i do like my whole meaning is turned upside down right this was the thing that was giving me so much meaning in my but life. i think and i think it kind of functions like maybe religions where i think this group is worried about the rest of us that we don't get it they've discovered something and they're like okay the government is doing this this is nothing is real you're you're being manipulated and i'm gonna try really hard to like help everybody else and convince you that you're blind to this thing right yep. and that feels like religion can be presented that way to me um this idea of people trying to save you from some kind of oppressive group or 
the devil or whatever it is, right? Um, So, yeah, there's no advantage to, like, disproving yourself. That's not really... It's not really about... Like... It's not really about solving the problem. Like, you need the problem to fuel the mission. Right? Or you need that storyline. Yeah, I don't... I guess I just don't... That doesn't resonate. What? Um, Just that people need... I mean, I sort of intellectually get it. I mean, I'm just guessing. Like... I don't, I don't actually believe, but there obviously is a, like, people are doing things for a reason, right? Yeah. So, if you believe in something that actually can be proved as incorrect, and you're not really interested, then what is happening? I don't know, like, I've part of me wants to say let's go into a like a reddit forum forum and look at a change my view thing i'm an anti-vaxxer or something and see what they say but i feel like that's also like the perfect place for a troll to lurk (laughs) right you wouldn't actually get anywhere um I just, I don't think the people themselves can tell you. Yeah. Uh, like, I, this, there's this, there's a spell, or there is something that is preventing that kind of awareness, right? Yeah. Like, like trying to prove to someone who believes in God that God isn't real or something. Like, the, the structure of their belief system this, negates your perspective. Yes, you're you just disagree on the rules of like yes. how the world yes. works. Yes. Yeah. And, and so that, how are you supposed to make yes. headway? Yeah. Exactly. And that's what all of those things have in common, like the vaccines, the conspira- any conspiracy theory, any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean like there's just part of it that seems just straight up illogical and if it's like well have they taken a logic class or just do are they aware of these like fallacies and logic that you can have and uh, it, it seems like there's these tricks people use all the time um like a straw man argument or something right. um to try and make their view look good but it's just not a valid approach So some people have, like, genuine, what we would call mental health issues or wiring, just different kind of brain structures, right? I think that definitely can lead people to have different perceptions, Yeah, of course. But that can't be everybody in these groups. And certainly if you're if you're applying that logic to religious groups, I mean, there's a lot of diversity within all the different religions. So like what is, 
what is leading people to buy into that and change the rules and um, and not allowing like the systems are not allowing for outside feedback which feels inherently like a problem to me with a system if you're like here's the rules here are the answers that's it it's like that doesn't seem right to begin with um i think sometimes people feel safer with that kind of dynamic right everyone's role is usually really clear the answers tend to like tidy everything up Mm -hmm. right there's usually a process about how you should be living day to day there's like a right and a wrong i guess maybe it feels easier to grasp it's good to have like having some sense of clarity about here's my rules for life and that's just it mm-hmm. it gives you so much peace of mind just like god I don't have to worry about it i don't have to keep second guessing myself with every decision i make i mean right. just like when you have some philosophy or ideology or whatever you call it i'm like here's here are my rules and it's just so much easier if I live by this. It, It's like that paradox of like, well, you're constraining yourself into this box, but at the same time, it's liberating too, because then you free up this cognitive load of like not second guessing yourself. Right. So then at, if we, going back to like Andrew Yang's kind of proposals for like government support and... Like, if we kind of do, if we implement what he says, like, he's talking about the dividend, he's talking about healthcare, he's talking about decriminalizing at least marijuana, mm-hmm. um, talking about, so that would free people, some people out of prison. Um, so, if we kind of open up the rules more, which is kind of what he's saying, I think, if we create more space, yep. I think. I'm wondering if people are going to grasp onto these substructures, whether it's religion or these kind of groups that have like ideologies or value systems built in, like, um, or like a mission, like the flat earth people are like trying to help everybody else and do all this stuff. Um, if people need that kind of structure and they may gravitate towards these kind of, uh, maybe unhealthy. I don't know if that's the right word. Right. Routes. Yeah. Is that a consequence potentially of of doing something like this? Like. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this stuff gets out of my wheelhouse completely. On. There's just the psychology of what gives people purpose and Mm -hmm. it's like I I don't know (laughs) I guess my short it's well I don't I I guess I don't want to speculate on it that's the whole that's what we're doing we're only speculating (laughs) fair enough I guess you just don't have I don't have like yeah I don't have like a any intuition about it and i guess my thought is like yeah bring on someone who's an expert 
on this stuff or or chat with a flat earther and and anti-vaxxers and like right so come at it with a sense of curiosity okay uh, yeah i totally agree because i've i've talked to a friend who i have different religious views with and then it's like just really interesting to come at it with this sense of curiosity rather than like oh you're crazy um yes and then you're like oh wait we agree on so much about this but you're just coming to a different conclusion it's like the whole substance of everything that you're talking about is exactly the same right and then there's just like oh you're just giving it a different label right and i do also think there's typically there has to be a reason why some people are diverging into certain like groups yeah like you were saying like we were saying like the anti-vaccine people a lot of them have autistic children and they're connecting those dots and so they have like some personal experience that's fueling like the the perspective and so i don't know what the equivalent would be for like flat earth or whatever it is um but i do think there is like everybody has a context like it's we're not existing in a vacuum so um i agree like there there has to be a reason for at least in for the person in their mind um and i again i do think some people are just primed to be skeptical and um especially skeptical of like government bodies or people kind of telling other people what to do or whatever that is right whatever the those boundaries are so it what's hard for me sometimes is talking to people that have a different set of rules and being able to sort of meaningfully have a conversation when you have to enter that world because those people are not able to enter your set of rules um Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think that can be hard. Right. Yeah, there's some element of like, oh man, I'm like taking on more of the burden here. And, and I think you would be doing more listening and... Sure. Um, yeah, so at some point you're like, okay, is this actually worth my time to... Right, which is if, why I... I, I mean that's hap- that you have access to that like yeah. watching people make YouTube videos or documentaries or whatever and um, and they're able to just talk and talk and talk and, and present their view um, so you can access the information but you're not like burdened in a conversation but you don't get the back and forth possibility yeah. except in the documentary of course it shows people having conversations um I think one thing that doesn't help <laughs> conspiracy theories is that there have been actual conspiracies from the government. Well, yeah, that I mean that's what's kind of I guess interesting about conspiracy theories or the yeah, just the appeal of it is some of them are true. It's like yeah. you know, you have enough things of probability one percent 
It's like, oh yeah, I think e individually each one of these things is nuts. But one of them's probably true. Right. <laughs> I, I think, yes. And I, I do think it's fine and can be valuable to question government bodies and to not just do what you're told all the time and, and yeah. go with the flow. But um, I, I think there's a line that gets crossed when you're like, the Holocaust didn't exist. And it's like, okay, well, mm -hmm. that's a pretty, that's like another level to me. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing to say like, oh, like maybe the government is collecting too much data from our whatever yeah. privacy something. But yeah, I mean, some of it is just like a sensitivity to how other people interpret things and we have footage. Yeah, like of them liberating the camps. Yeah. So it's, I just don't, it, I'm saying you would need a ridiculous amount of care with your argument and compassion to like get started on like making such a, a point. And what, I mean, what, also another one, a, a common one that I heard from the Flat Earth people specifically is that 9-11 was orchestrated yeah. that it wasn't real in some capacity whatever version of that do you um, think there's um i well yeah i i think it the answer's clear most people like most people who have a conspiracy theory like multiple conspiracy theories why is <laughs> why are more people just like yeah i have one it's like the JFK thing or something. Why can't we? I think my part of my point about the 9-11 one is it's like um, so many people were physically there. So much footage. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like what? what but, what's the burden of proof here? Like what? You know, what is it? Yeah. What would it take? So it's not even really about that it's not about the science it's not about the evidence because you can change the rules to say that everything is constructed and i think their version of 9-11 stuff well, yeah what's to the 9-11 conspiracy you're talking about i think it tends to be that like that the towers fell in a way that wasn't realistic or that they were shot with like well, the one I always heard is that like it was laser, like a controlled demolition. Controlled demolition, or they were, they were like shot with like, what is it like something, the high res, the beam of fire, like something, something the military can use. It's like some kind of precision thing that will like blow something up. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> So whatever, I, there's just I was laughing at a Google search. Like some kind of some kind of laser or something. But anyways, yeah, that it was it was constructed. It was it was orchestrated. It wasn't it wasn't possible for it to happen the way it, it visually happened. Mm -hmm. 
so then it's it's just like it doesn't matter how things go down it doesn't matter the circumstance yeah I think I've lost my energy for okay <laughs> for well, talking about conspiracies. All right, feel free to toss out another topic. <laughs> um, Unless you're, I'm, I'm kind of. Is this is the end near? Ready to wrap up? Is there like okay other? since okay as creative director? Yeah, I start. I started with the intro. Okay. And you're always antsy to stop, so you can decide when we stop and do the outro. Okay. So you have to uh, say you have to say something what, like. How, well, I'm not when a we're creative done. director, so I don't know how to end the show. Okay. How to? So what should I say? You can thank people for watching. You can ask them to subscribe. You can tell them our goals of trying to be famous, either with or without a scandal. You can subscribe if you want. <laughs> I have no pressure. Oh man, that was that was the weirdest way we could have done that, wasn't it? Um, but thank you for watching, everyone. Um, this is Pac-Man. And this is Batman. Do you want to explain who, like, is Batman? So this is a pillow I got when I was a kid, and that's from Batman, the animated series. Um, so whatever, go back 20-some years ago. Comment below if you also have this pillow. <laughs> yes. And then this is, um, <laughs> at my last birthday party, we went to Gameworks, and one of my friends... Um, won a Pac-Man out of uh, well I'm not exactly sure how he won it but he won Pac-Man and gave it to me and I felt like it was a good representation of that birthday party because we played a lot of like Pac-Man Battle Royale and it's the four player Pac-Man and you just get to like turn into giant versions yeah I wasn't very good at that I didn't do a good job it was a blast did you have fun even though you weren't very good at it? Yeah, like, I'm not that competitive. Okay. Like, I don't need to win or succeed to feel valuable as a person. All right. Well, thanks again for watching, everyone. Bye. Bye. Do, 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 do. <laughs> We're getting so good. <laughs> <laughs>